Christ. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, last Sunday morning, we covered the first three verses. Last Sunday night, we covered the next three verses. Today, we're hoping to cover the whole chapter. I hope you believe in miracles. <laughs> revelation Amen. chapter one. If you uh, missed the first two messages, uh, make sure you go online. You can go to our uh, YouTube channel. You can go to the Facebook page. And you will find those two messages there. Uh, but for the sake of uh, getting a running start into where we left off. Uh, by the way, for those of you that are watching online, our computer system has gone down. Uh, so we are not streaming as normal. But Brother Kent, <laughs> our music director, is uh, trying to video this for us through his iPhone. And so when his arms get tired or I get long, it, it, your screen is going to shake. All right? But, uh, Brother Ken, I appreciate you doing what you can for us. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, that is to Christ, to show his servants, that's his church, that's all of us, things which must take place, shortly or quickly uh, take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. That's what you're doing now. We're reading your hearing. But you've got to take it one step further if you want to be blessed. And keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near, or as we talked about last week, the time is imminent. It can happen at any moment. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. We discover those are the churches in Asia Minor. Seven actual churches that existed in that day and time. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. Now there uh, we are introduced to John as he writes often in triplets. Okay, There'll be seven words or seven phrases that he will link together to describe something. So I want you to notice these triplets as we read through. So he says, um, uh, and just as he said, those who read. Uh, those who hear and those who keep. Here he says, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits, the fullness of the spirits, or as we talk about the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit as revealed in Isaiah, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And amen. Now notice, he says, 
To him who loved us. And we discover that word is not a past tense word, actually. It's an all-encompassing word. He loved us in time past. He loves us in time present. And he's going to go on loving us throughout all of eternity. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. We are fully embraced and encompassed and surrounded by the love of God that he most greatly demonstrated for us whenever he washed us from our sins by what? His own blood. But God demonstrated his love toward us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I am thankful this morning as I stand before you to share the God's word. As you sit there and listen to the word of God, when God looks at us who know him as Savior and Lord, those who have been born again of his spirit, he does not see us in our sin. Because let's face it, folks, we all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, and even though we have been saved by grace through faith, we still wrestle with and struggle with our flesh and we struggle with sin. But because of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us on Calvary's cross, he doesn't see us in our sin. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole Amen. is nailed to mm -hmm. his cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. So he washed us from our sins in his own blood. He could do that because his blood was sinless blood. Sinless blood. Jesus perfectly obeyed the law he, he himself had given. He did not ever have one sinful thought, not one sinful action, not one sinful word. And because he was perfect and without sin, he could be that perfect lamb of God, our substitutionary, atoning, sacrificial lamb. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I'm very thankful his blood has cleansed me from all sin. Now, I want you to also notice here. It says he has washed us from our blood and is all sin and made us kings and priests to our God and Father to him. Now, for, because he is who he is, has done what he has done, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now notice verse 7. We finally get to a new verse. Okay? <laughs> Made it there. Behold. Now anytime John says behold, it's like being at a railroad crossing. The lights are flashing. The arms are coming down. And you say, hey, stop. Look. Listen. This is important. Pay attention. Behold. So pay attention. He is coming with clouds. Behold, he says, he is coming. Now, I want you to understand this. The Word of God doesn't state this as a possibility or even as a plausibility, not even a probability. He says it is not a hypothesis, this is not a theory, as clearly and plainly and absolutely as he can state it. John tells us he 
want you to understand, Jesus Christ is coming again to this earth. Whenever he ascended, go back. Remember those two angels that were there? As Jesus rose to go back to his father and says, why are you standing here looking upward? This same Jesus, the very same one. Not one similar, not one like him, but the very same Jesus that you now see is coming again in like manner. Jesus is coming again. More, more surely than the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, more surely than the wetness of water or the dryness of the dirt, Jesus Christ is coming again for us. He's coming the first time, next time he comes, for his bride, his church. My friend, listen to me. If you believe the things the Bible says about the first coming of Jesus, if you celebrated Christmas this year, and you look at what the, the Bible had to say about him being born in the manger, if you read the Gospels, and you see the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he lived in his flesh in this earth, if you believe the things that the Word of God says about his first coming, then you must believe what the Bible says about his second coming. As important as the new birth is to our salvation, the new birth in Jesus Christ is only mentioned nine times in the New Testament. As important as the issue of baptism is vital to our obedience to Christ, that after we have been saved, after we have repented of sin, placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and that which he accomplished for us in a sinless life, his substitutionary atoning death, his burial, and his resurrection, that we then follow him when that has happened, when we've been saved by grace through faith, and been born again, we are then to follow him in obedience in baptism. As important as baptism is, baptism is only mentioned 20 times in the New Testament. And we know that repentance is necessary for salvation. If you're going to have eternal life, you must repent of your sin. You've got to have a godly sorrow for that sin, an understanding that you have sinned against the holy God, and that's got to grieve your heart. That godly sorrow over the knowledge of your sin against God <laughs> leads you to repentance of sin. That is a turning away from sin no longer desiring to continue living that way, but then you turn in repentance away from sin and in faith to Jesus Christ. And you believe in Jesus Christ so strongly, that leads you to surrender control of your life to Him. You yield control of your life to Him. You are just simply acknowledging He is Lord. He's in control. And you say, from this day forward, Lord, my life belongs to you. As important as repentance is, in order to receive eternal life, repentance is only mentioned 70 times in the New Testament. But the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ, is mentioned in the New Testament 380 times. Amen. 380 times, 100, uh, 1,845 times, that's 1,845 times from Genesis to Revelation, 
The Word of God declares that Jesus Christ is coming again. One out of every 25 verses in the Word of God points with an eager finger to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. One out of 25 verses tells us he's coming again. For every prophecy in the Word of God that speaks of the first coming of Jesus Christ, there are eight prophecies in the Word of God concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament looks forward to his first coming. The New Testament looks backward to his first coming. But the entire Word of God points with an eager finger toward the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you look at the Word of God, here's what you're going to find. The second coming of Jesus Christ is predicted by the prophets. It's promised by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He tells us several times he's going to come again. The second coming of Jesus Christ was predicted in the New Testament by the apostles. And yet I tell you, you would be well advised not to put your faith and your trust to build your life around the stock market. Not around the economy, not around the interest rates, not around your social security. All those things can and probably will pass away. You would be well advised to build your life around the certain fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen. He boldly declares he is coming. But then notice, he says he is coming with clouds. With clouds. Why clouds? Why is he coming with clouds? Because as you're going to find out in just a moment, that's God's way of saying that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he's going to come back with all the might, the majesty, the splendor, the glory, the beauty, the radiance that heaven itself is the only one who can afford. The best of God, the most of God, the greatest of heaven, the fullness of the glory of God is going to return when Jesus returns. You know that glory. It was the glory when God was present on the mountaintop of Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. The mountain would be obscured with clouds. And the brightness of his glory would shine forth through those clouds. And there would be thunderings and there would be lightnings. Whenever you see the presence of God among his people, you will oftentimes find him when he shows up with clouds. In fact, whenever he was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, he led them by a pillar of clouds by day and a pillar of cloud of fire by night. When the Lord comes back, he's going to come wrapped in the clouds of glory that represent his magnificence, that, magnif uh, that, that signify his, his brilliance, his majesty, his honor, his glory. Whenever Israel pitched the tabernacle there in the wilderness, God draped himself in a glorious cloud there above the mercy seat. Whenever the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, 
They're from Jer Jerusalem. He wrapped himself in a glorious cloud. Whenever Jesus comes back, he's going to come back with glorious clouds. Jesus himself is going to return in those clouds. Now notice, he goes on to say, whenever he returns, it says, behold, he's coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Now, what does it mean when it says every eye shall see him? That means every saint in heaven is going to see. That means every sinner in hell is going to see the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. That means the astronauts in outer space, those up in the uh, International Space Station, those who might be on the moon, I don't care if they're on Mars, I don't care on if they make it to the far side of the galaxies like the Star Trek uh, episode says, no matter how far they go, wherever man is, they will see the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those sailors got any Navy people here? All right. Those mariners down in the depths of the sea are going to see the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hey, this one causes glory bumps to fall on my skin. Hmm. The blind. Hey, the blind. My wife, legally blind. The blind will see. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think about that. Can you imagine a person born blind and the very first thing they will ever see? And those like Robin who see distorted vision, the first thing she will clearly see is the face of the Lord Jesus Christ whenever he returns. The sea is going to give up as dead, the cemeteries are going to be open, and the dead of all the ages are going to see Jesus. Whenever he returns, Mark says, mark it down. John says, mark it down. Every eye will see him. That means the eyes of the living and the eyes of the dead, they're going to see him. The saved and the lost, they're going to see him. Those in heaven, those in hell, they're going to see him. The eyes of the angels and the eyes of the demons, they will see him every I will see him. Now think about this. It says, and those who pierced him. Pilate, who tried to wash his hands, he's going to see Jesus whenever he returns. Those Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross, who pierced his side, they're going to see Jesus. Yeah. Those scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders that orchestrated the cross, they will see Jesus. Judas, one of the twelve, one of his own, the one who betrayed him and sold him out, he is going to see Jesus Christ when he returns. Now listen. I was not privileged to be there the night that he was born and to see his birth. Hmm. I was not privileged to walk with him whenever he walked on this earth. 
taught such amazing truths, performed such amazing miracles. I did not see his sinless life. Hmm. I didn't see the miracles. I didn't see him physically whenever he hung on the cross. I didn't get to hear those words with my own ears. It is finished. Mm. I didn't see any of those things. I wasn't there to see the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something. One day, this old boy is going to see Jesus Christ as he is in all of his glory. Amen. Whenever he returns. I'm looking forward to that day. I can't wait for that day. John says, beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but this we do know. When he returns, we will see him as he is. That's awesome. And it gets even better. And we shall be like him. Amen. Glory. Are you tired of dealing with sickness and disease like I am? My dear wife's getting ready to have her second knee replacement surgery. Uh, I hurt for her, with her, but she said, but you don't hurt like I do. <laughs> you know, people with heart disease, cancer, I've been reading testimonies on our prayer line of those that have been recently diagnosed with cancer. Are you tired of going to funerals? Yeah. Amen. You tired of yeah. You tired of having to go to the funeral home and make arrangements for a loved one of yours, a mom, a dad, husband, wife, <coughs> child? <coughs> if I never had to go to another funeral again, it'd suit me just fine. I'm tired of those things. Are you tired of political races? I'm sick to no end of those things. But you think I'm the most sick of? Wrestling with my own sin. Hmm. Amen, Pastor. Knowing what Christ Jesus has done out of his love for me. Hmm. Knowing he has saved me by his grace through the faith that he's granted. Knowing all the blessings of his grace that he has given me, I still find myself yielding to sin, disappointing him, disappointing me, disappointing people that love me and care about me. I'm tired of that. There's a day coming when I will see him as he is. Amen. And I will be like him. Amen. Holy. He's declared me to be holy. He's declared me to be righteous by his grace. There's a day coming when I will be holy as he is holy. Amen. I will be righteous. 
as he is righteous. I'm looking forward to that day. I like to camp out there. Let's move on. Look at verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation. He's writing to people that were hurting. I'm your brother and companion. He's, he's related to them through the blood of Christ, the person of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. Your companion in tribulation. He's sharing in their difficulty and kingdom and patience. Notice companion of tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. Those are the triplets. Was on the island that is called Patmos. That's about 40 miles off the coast of Ephesus, Turkey. Was on the island called Patmos. Why? For the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's there because he's in exile preaching the gospel. Domitian is the emperor. Domitian is the one who was the really the first Roman emperor who instituted a required emperor worship. You worshiped the emperor as God. And every citizen of Rome was commanded that once a year they had to come and offer incense on the idol to Caesar and must declare verbally Caesar es curios. Caesar is Lord. Well, that posed a problem for the Christians. Because only Jesus is Lord. That's right. So, whenever the Christians were brought before the altar of incense to offer the incense, and to make their declaration that Caesar as Clarius. Many didn't do it. And there was a tremendous persecution of the Christians under, under the Christians. We could not even begin to envision the torturous things that our brothers and sisters in Christ endured and gave their lives for not making that one statement. John, being one of the leaders of the church, pastor of the church at Ephesus, teaching the people the truth and teaching them there is but one Lord. So Domitian has exiled John. He had him boiled in oil and then exiled to the Isle of Patmos, which was the Alcatraz of its day. It was the rock. And that's pretty much what it is. It's an island that is one huge rock. And he's there as an outcast on Patmos for preaching the gospel. But notice what he says in verse 10. And I was in the spirit. But that means he obviously was in his heart and mind transported beyond the natural place where he was on Patmos, caught up in the spirit to the very presence of God. I was in the spirit on when? When did the Lord appear to him and give him this marvelous vision? On the Lord's day. When's the Lord's day? 
First day of the week. Sunday morning. He was in the spirit on Sunday. Not the Sabbath, Saturday. The Lord's Day, which was Resurrection Sunday. When the church was used to gathering. By this, on the Lord's Day. And we can meet in here. And I'm glad you're here. I'm so honored. We have such a big crowd. When it's 20 degrees and you show up. Bless you. Amen. I mean, seriously, bless you. You're here, that's great. My question is, are you in the spirit? Are you focused on Christ? Are you focused on the spirit? We sang the songs, but did you sing them from who you are in the spirit? Yeah. You're listening to the word, but are you listening to it as some good talk that Tim's doing? Hopefully it's good. Are, are, it, are, <laughs> are you listening to this as being what it is? It's the word of God. Amen. The word of God. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a voice behind me like a, 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 a loud voice. I started to get John just blast on the trumpet, um, uh, like, a, like a trumpet saying, this is what the voice said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. That is the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning, he's the end. He started all things, he ends all things. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, and what you see, talking to John, write the book. What book? Do we have that book? Yes, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we're reading right now. And send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, by the way, the way these churches are laid out is on what's modern-day Turkey, it starts in Ephesus and ends where? Laodicea. It's the postal route of these churches. All these churches are in Asia Minor, and when you see a map of where they are located, it starts out down here with Ephesus, goes up, makes like a little horseshoe, and then comes down back over here at Laodicea. So it's like a, a semicircle, if you will, uh, in Turkey. So, and it's the route the post office of that day would take. They would first get onto the shore uh, and then start knocking Ephesus and take the mail from Ephesus and then around that route. Okay? So he's writing to these seven churches. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, now he's looking for a voice, so you would be expecting a person. And I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Jesus. John knows him. He lived with him. He walked with him for, for three years. Mm -hmm. He was the beloved disciple. You would think John would go and just, man, it's so, so awesome to see you, Lord. It's been such a long time. It, 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 it's been 60 years. Since Jesus ascended to go back to be with the Father. It's been 60 years since he, he was just going to throw his arms around him and give him a big hug. But no. <clears throat> but he appears in a way John hasn't seen him before. One like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to his feet, girded about his chest with a golden band. That's one of two things. Some commentators will tell you it's the, uh, the robes of uh, the high priest. Some would tell you this is the robes of a magistrate. If someone is uh, a judge, this is what they would look like. I tend to, at one point in time, I thought it was the robe of the high priest. 
I freeze, I kind of change that and kind of see it as the magisterial robes of the day and time because he's appearing as judge. And gird about the, the chest with a golden band. His head and hair look like Brother Tim's. <laughs> well, that's kind of what it says there. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but it's, the head of his hair were white like wool. <laughs> Some of you look just like Jesus. Did you know that? <laughs> that's a glorious thing. Look just mm -hmm. like Jesus. All right. I won't say what I was about to say. And the hair of him were white as his purity. Amen. As white as snow and his eyes. John was used to looking into those eyes. He had seen many times when it says, and when he saw them, he was moved with compassion. He has seen those loving, compassionate eyes of Jesus. Over and over and over again. Now, his eyes like a flame of fire. What does that mean? They are the penetrating, penetrating eyes of omniscience. Of the God who knows everything. And in particular, who knows everything about us. These are the eyes that burn away everything that we have tried to construct for ourselves in the image of who we are. It burns away the lies. It burns away the deceit. It burns away the pride. And it penetrates to the depths of our innermost being to reveal who we really are. His eyes were like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass as if it, as if it were refined in the furnace. Brass in scripture or bronze is probably a better way of being able to say this. was always a sign of judgment. And, and being refined for purity. For instance, there was always these bronze things in the temple, like the, the, the bronze labor, where the priest would go and wash before they could go in. Like fine brass is refined in a furnace. And his voice, like the sound of many words, like a Niagara Falls, it was loud, it was thunderous, it was all-encompassing is the only thing he could hear. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth, oh, he had heard the voice of Jesus many times. He had heard him speak words that brought healing, words that brought comfort, words just that Lazarus come forth. And he raised the dead. His mouth went, out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword. What's the sharp, two-edged sword? Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 
when it says Adam is now being the word, he's coming in judgment. And the basis of his judgment and the criteria of his judgment is the word of God. With his penetrating eyes, who sees us as we are, he compares what he sees in us to what his word says about what we should be. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him of whom if this doesn't buckle your knees mm. it should of him to whom we must give an account mm. we must give an account His countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. Paul saw that on the Damascus road, knocking off of his horse, knocking to his feet. Revelation 1.17 says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Mm. We have a lot of thoughts about what it's going to be like when we see him as he is. Mm -hmm. You ever thought what it's going to be like whenever you, uh, if he carries and is coming and don't get raptured first, uh, you're, we're all going to die unless the rapture happens before then. Yeah. You ever thought about, for those of us that know Christ as our Savior and Lord, we have the promise of being in his presence. You ever thought about what you're going to do the first time you see him? We have songs written about that. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, that song, I Can Only Imagine. Beautiful song. Yeah, I like the song. Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Yeah, none of those. That's right. That's right. I'm going to run, go, and throw my arms around him and just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. You know what you're going to do? Every time someone in Scripture mm -hmm. is caught up in the full glory of God, they fall on their face as a dead man. Yeah. Every time. Amen. Isaiah, Isaiah 6, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 3, Daniel, and Daniel 10. Every time someone is caught up in the presence and sees him as he is, even Jesus, when the soldiers came to arrest him in the garden, and they said, he said, who do you see? It's a Jesus Nazareth, all he does is he just spoke. I am. You know what? All those soldiers, boom, hit the ground. We have these grandiose ideas of what we're going to do. You're going to fall on your face before him in the presence of absolute holiness, absolute glory. That's what John did. Now, like I said, he'd been in the presence of Jesus for three years. But now he sees the fullness of who he is. Amen. He just saw him veiled in human flesh. <clears throat> now he sees him as he is in his glory. Paul says, he's there to say, now, and he laid his right hand on me. That's awesome. Amen. 
and it repeats a phrase that she's 365 times. 365 times in the word. Do not be afraid. 365 times. One for every day of the year. In some form, fear not, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Why? I'm the first and the last. I want to preach a sermon on this one right here. Amen. I am he who lives. Amen. He lives. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. <laughs> I know that he is living. No matter what men may say. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives in me. That should get an amen. Amen? Yeah. Eh? Does he live in you? Eh? Right. He lives. And because he lives, I can face. Yeah, but I got trouble facing today. <laughs> because he lives, I can face right now. Not only do it, can I face it. He has already made me to be, Romans 8, more than an overcomer in this life. Hmm. He lives and was what? Dead. He died. He died. God. In all of his holiness, in all of his righteousness, the one who is love died. For me, for me. He did that fully knowing everything about me. And died for me. Died for you. So that you could live. And love him and live life to its fullest in him. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am. Now notice the I am. Keep seeing the I am. You know the first thing he is? The I am. The I am. So he says, Exodus 3 to Moses, Whom shall I say has sent me? I am. Now notice he, this phrase I am was very special to John. The I am. In John's Gospel, seven times, he quotes Jesus in seven I am statements. Amen. Yep. Seven completion. Seven times John says, Jesus said, I am. Here he quotes Jesus as saying, I am. I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Eternally lives. And I have the keys of Hades, the realm of the dead. I have the keys of hell and death. The one who has the keys has the authority. The one who has the keys can open it, 
and close it. Amen. Anybody scared of dying? You're not going to die one second until Jesus does so. Amen. When you have completed the task for which he brought you into this world so that you, your life has brought him the glory he wants you to bring, they'll take you out. And when he takes you out, you're going to be in his presence. Tell me what's bad about that. Is there any one thing bad about that? I'm just scared it's going to happen here, there, and there. It's going to happen exactly when you We live by faith. On my side, we just start trusting in. But we live, but we die with the Lord's. I have the keys to hell and death. Write the things you have seen. What's the things he has seen? The things in chapter 1. All the things he's seen in chapter 1. And the things which are. What's the things that are? Chapters 2 and 3. It's the letters to the churches that are existing in that time. And the things will, that will take place right here, verse 19, beneath the little star, right by verse 19. That is the outline of the book of the Revelation. That's the outline for the whole book. Everything flows from this, this verse. The things which you have seen, chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ as he is. The things which are, chapter 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches at that time, and the things that will take place after that, as chapters 4 through 22. Okay, that's the outline for the revelation. He's going to say in verse 20, let me get to the end of this one. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels, are the messengers, angelos, messengers, or, I'll, I'll back this up now, the pastors of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. John sees Jesus in the midst of the golden lampstands, the seven lampstands. He says the golden lampstands are the seven churches. Why are the churches represented as seven golden lampstands? Remember, seven's completion. In the tabernacle and in the temple, the seven-branched lampstand represented Jesus Christ, the light of the world. In John 9, 5, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am, that's one of those seven, I am savings, I am the light of the world. But as you know, Jesus ascended and went back to the Father. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Once Jesus ascended to go back to be with his Father in heaven, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, this is what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. Who is he talking to? His church. You are the light of the world, the city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp or put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Pat you on the back. Say what a good person you are. May they see your good works, works that he does in us and through us. 
and glorify your Father in heaven. When they see what he does in us and through us, they say, what an awesome God he is. Amen. What a great God he is. Seven lampstands are his church. He's walking in the midst of his church. We're going to talk much more detail about that tonight. Amen. But he said, let your light. We don't hide your light under a bushel. You let it shine. I've told you many times, all the great theology that you need to know, you learned when you were a child. If you had the privilege of coming to church when you were a child, going to Vegas Bible school or Sunday school or some form like that, Greatest theology you learned was, was right there. Mm-hmm. You learned it usually in a song. Mm-hmm. So as I say, you join me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Oh, yeah. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Get the bushel off of your life. Amen. Some of us have been hiding our light under a bushel basket. Because we are living, if you haven't noticed, in a fallen world. Yeah. And it can be a scary place. And it can be intimidating. It can. And sometimes we want to go along in order to get along. But it don't kick us out. Let your light so shine before men. That they may see your good works. Yeah. The light that comes out is Christ through our service to Him and one another. His love as expressed to one another. And when they see that, He'll put us in situations where they say, the only way the person can have that kind of faith and still have that level of love when people have mistreated them and wronged them so much, when so many bad things, the only thing that could have gotten them through that is, you know, this guy that they talk about, this Jesus they say they belong to? He must really be in them. Because they couldn't handle this by themselves. And you know, I need what they have. And it opens the door to share Jesus. Don't forget who he is. Remember, he's writing to people who are being tortured, killed, fed in lions, burned at the stake, slaughtered before family members. He's in exile, their companion in tribulation. Hmm. And he's writing to them and telling them, remember who it is who saved us. Amen. 
Remember, he's promised us this is not the end. He's coming back for us. And he's coming back for us in all his glory. And he's going to settle accounts. He's going to settle accounts. He's going to make things right. Hold on. There's hope in him. Amen. Amen. And who he's made us to be. Are you hurt this morning? Are you going through the tough stuff? Is your heart breaking? I give you Jesus. Amen. In all of his glory. Amen. Who loves you. Who can make you a priest and a king. Who can transform you so that you are like him. If in grace he's given you the ability to understand your sin, repent. Place your faith in him alone as the only source of salvation. All that he did, he did out of love for you. Surrender. Saying, God, I acknowledge I'm nothing. Whatever you can make out of this, I'm yours. Amen. I'm yours. At that moment, all of your sin is gone. Cleansed in his blood. At that moment, his spirit comes to live in you and will never leave you, never forsake you. At that moment, he adopts you into his family makes you one of his own. And from that moment, he begins the process of shaping you and molding you into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a day coming. He will come to receive us unto himself. And we're going to be with him throughout all of eternity. Do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt you've done that? That he's done that in you? If so, rejoice. Amen. Let your light shine. If you're still in darkness and still in sin, all that he is is available to you right now. And if you hear his voice, if there's something in you say, you know, you need what he's talking about. Then do what the Word of God says. Just respond to me. You're looking for a place to help you grow, learn, develop. We'd love to have you as a member here. Just come let me know. Say, I'll be part of this. <coughs> Father, I thank you for your Word.